there's this need to get down to the who who is actually behind this check, right? Because now, especially gifts from DAFs, it's going to be directed by some person. And so you can't think about that check as it came from a foundation or even it came from Schwab. I need to think about that as like a major donor relationship that needs to be stewarded in the same way as a check that came out of somebody's personal checking account. Welcome to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, brought to you by Virtuous. Responsive nonprofits are the organizations thriving in today's ever-changing fundraising landscape, leading with innovation to grow giving and impact. Join us each week in spirited conversation with the leading voices across philanthropy, fundraising, and nonprofit technology. Subscribe on your favorite stations or visit us over at www.virtuous.org backslash podcast. Welcome back to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, a conversation show with nonprofit leaders who are adopting the tools, strategies, and mindsets to create hyper-personalized relationships with the modern donor and grow giving. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Jeff Kahn, co-CEO of NPACT, and our very own Gabe Cooper, CEO of Virtuous, to explore the evolving landscape of community-based giving. So Jeff, let's dive right in. And first and foremost, I want to make sure we bring our listeners up to speed. Can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your path and your current passion that's landed you on the current problem that you're trying to solve? And then we'll peel back the layers of that problem. Brian and Gabe, first off, thank you so much for having me on this program. Just to give you a little bit of my background, I am a financial technology investor and um, investment banker by trade. Um, I went to Columbia as an undergrad studying economics and fell in with the wrong crowd and ended up in investment banking at Goldman for three years in the financial institutions group, focused primarily on financial technology and other financial services business, and then had a career for about seven or eight years doing private equity investing, uh, looking at financial technology opportunities and also some venture, largely private equity and some venture opportunities mixed in. And then uh, went to business school at Stanford, uh, was lucky enough to get in there and stuck around for two years as lead case writer, working with faculty members to write business school cases about a range of different companies, a lot of them in financial technology and and enterprise software, and ended up co-creating a course entitled How Software Finance, um, which is really kind of an overview of how software has disrupted large swaths of the financial industry over the last 30 years or so. Coming off that experience with some some of the relationships that I built with faculty members ended up essentially kind of raising a small private equity fund and impact is our um, first investment that my partner and I are really kind of focused on operating and, and running full-time. So we really, you know, we were looking for enterprise software opportunities with specific vertical niche and a fintech angle and the business that we acquired, which is a DAF management platform for primarily community foundations, religious foundations, and financial services organizations really um, tied into our backgrounds. And, you know, we really thought we have a, have a thesis that donor advised funds are going to continue to proliferate across the nonprofit space, that they're a really, really good financial product that works really, really well for donors and really, really well for the foundations and other nonprofits that operate that tool. And if you kind of peel the onion back and kind of simplify some of the complexity, you, you realize how powerful it is in terms of you know, creating an active dialogue between donor and nonprofit, and then also just the flexibility that provides nonprofits to um, to really kind of set up a financial structure that you know that grows alongside the donor. So, 
yeah, happy to dig in wherever you like. That sounds great. I mean, let, let's just kind of like set the table stakes from your point of view and through the philanthropic lens. Why are community foundations so important for giving in the United States? So what's interesting to me is that community foundations are really in some ways like a historical artifact of the industrial age where, you know, 150 years ago, you had all these really kind of like robber baron industrial scions that wanted to leave a legacy on a lot of the local areas where they built powerful, valuable businesses. And they ended up founding what they call community foundations, you know, around primarily kind of like the rest, the Rust Belt and in the East Coast, um, and a little bit in the South as well, you know, so they could essentially have a permanent pool of capital that could continue to be a philanthropic hub of the communities that they served. And for the most part, a lot of those organizations have, you know, done a ton of good work in their communities, and especially in some of the localities that have struggled as our economy is more from kind of more of an industrial base into like a services based economy, you know, they, they're extremely, extremely vital to support their citizens. Given the rise of commercial donor advised funds, such as Schwab and Fidelity that offer kind of more of a seamless digital experience for mass affluent customers slash donors, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that community foundations and, you know, aligned religious charities used to really kind of be the only game in town in terms of, you know, offering donor advised funds. And now they're starting to see real competition for those resources. And I think their business models are ultimately going to have to adapt. And you're starting to see them adapt in terms of increasing investment complexity, offering social loan programs and social venture programs that donors are able, able to, to invest in through their donor advised funds. And then you're starting to see on the edges, like some of the more progressive organizations try to do real kind of donor targeting and outreach, like akin to other larger nonprofit organizations. It's interesting. We often talk about here at Virtuous that we're still fundraising in a world that no longer exists. The world of the modern donor has evolved and shifted rapidly. And even just hearing you talk about just the foundings of community foundations in the industrial age, you know, community foundations are also operating in a world that no longer exists. And I think, Gabe, I'd love your your input here as well. But I'm just kind of curious from both of you, as it stands today, and you, you started you started to poke at it a little bit, but what are the, the biggest challenges facing community foundations in the way that the world has rapidly changed in the digital age over the last 10 to 20 years? I would say that community foundations, like a lot of other nonprofits, are trying to tackle the generational wealth transfer that's occurring right now. And they're kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place because they have to provide like a very personalized, like kind of manual, non-digital experience for some of their older donors. But at the same time, they need to provide tools and automation to really capture the next generation of donors as they, you know, as they grow in kind of prominence and kind of as they grow in wealth. That's a kind of a big challenge that I see a lot of them face. And then the other is just in terms of like how impactful of an organization and how kind of like progressive of an organization, like do they want to be and like, how does their kind of mandate and kind of mission within their community change? I'd say some organizations are really, really focused on kind of social impact and social justice. And, you know, that's led them to like, I'd say just 
to be more aggressive in terms of their fundraising and just how they want to, you know, grow their kind of operating platform. And then others kind of see themselves as kind of much more conservative, stayed, really just kind of like stewards of capital and, you know, have, have wanted to steady Eddie, like kind of keep things the way that they always have been for 20 or 30 years while making kind of marginal technology improvements. Yeah, I'd say just the orientation to the donor and then also orientation to their nonprofit ecosystem, their community is a challenge that like some are addressing kind of like head on and others are, you know, I'd say a little bit slower to deal with. Community foundations in general have this amazing advantage in the market where they often know their communities. Like if they're serving within a particular city, Pittsburgh, or they're serving around a particular cause area, they have this like strategic purview that other financial institutions don't have. And so they have this power to deploy philanthropic dollars and advise their donors in a way that nobody else has. And so I think a couple of things have happened. Number one, the amount of dollars available to foundations has gone up. So the rise of donor advice funds being accessible to even sort of lower dollar donors has pushed more money. And then sort of the transfer of giving to be to be more major donor centric, even over the last few years has like shoved more capital into this foundation space. So in some sense, community foundations that are this really powerful instrument should have more strategic dollars to deploy. But at the same time, like uh, Fidelity and Schwab and all these guys have sprouted up and offered their own donor advice fund products. And don't get me wrong, if somebody gives I'm all about generosity. So if somebody puts money in a Fidelity or Schwab DAF, I think that's great. But I think these community foundations may miss out if they're not able to build more personal relationships with donors at scale and then describe the unique value they provide in their communities. I think there's a chance that those foundations aren't going to be able to deploy capital the way they would have otherwise and really make a big impact in the world. And I, I don't want that impact to be missed. Yeah, I, I, Gabe, I totally agree with you. I think like one thing that we think about a lot in terms of how we continue to improve our donor experience is the ability for foundations to really kind of like tell their philanthropic narrative and like really show their donors like how they're adding value to the donor's philanthropic selection process and also just to the community as a whole. And I think that there are kind of like two paradigms when you look at like community foundation. One is is essentially kind of like based on like business processes, they're essentially just kind of morphing into wealth managers. The IT stack that I think a lot of like modern, larger community foundations is going to have is going to look pretty similar to an alternative asset manager in terms of like real CRM, responsive donor portal, real digital marketing tools, and then investment accounting and fund accounting tools to enable them to essentially perform the core calculations of like, you know, investing at the pool level and allocating those investments and calculating those expenses down to the individual LP or fund. The other paradigm is thinking about them as kind of as their own agents of change in their organization and their own kind of nonprofits. I would say that there's a why, I mean, I would say that a lot of foundations out there like don't really have a clear strategy and, you know, in terms of like how to create that narrative and how to prove their philanthropic differentiation from the fidelities and the Schwabs, and they have entrenched ways of kind of gathering assets either from wealth managers in their community or from, you know, existing relationships, but they haven't really thought strategically about like how they're going to grow and how they're going to position themselves to make the most impact in the decades that follow. And that is like the unique differentiation, right? When I talk to my guy from Schwab, 
he just cares about, hey, what's your family goals here? Like how much you go in your DAF versus how much you go in your investment account, right? It's practical, but it's not necessarily inspirational. And community foundations have this ability to sort of inspire more generosity and more deployment of philanthropic dollars and ensure that the donor knows how those dollars are going to work in meaningful ways to create an impact. Not just you got a tax break this year, but you're creating this impact. They can draw people into a bigger story in a way that traditional institutions never could. And so it's it's such an important piece of our philanthropic landscape right now. And it, I mean, it's why I'm passionate about this conversation and get more engaged with what you guys are doing, because I think there's such a massive opportunity. It's even closing the feedback loop, like you were saying earlier, Jeff, right? It's I'm not just giving to a pool and not knowing where my where my impact has gone. You're actually getting the feedback loop on that on that impact. And the gift to the fund is as strategic as the disbursement of the fund within the community. It's holistic, it's full circle. Absolutely. I mean, like we think that we're kind of in, you know, that our customers are really kind of in the middle of a three-sided marketplace for philanthropic capital. If you think about the donor, the foundation and the nonprofit grantee, you know, we sit in a really, really unique standpoint where, you know, we have the ability to kind of, you know, use our technology to unite that market and provide a way for impact metrics to go kind of directly, you know, from the grantee to the donor. Because we have the historical grants information, the foundation and of the donor, we can start to build recommendations for the donor as to, where they might be like more likely to give and where they might, the nonprofits that they might value kind of the most in their communities. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, I have a background obviously in kind of alternative asset management and financial technology. So it's, it's, I see like a lot of the same kind of trends happening in, in the kind of for-profit, you know, wealth tech space and happening here too. And so it's, it's a cool position to be in. Yeah, the way the way that you've even explained it in some way, oftentimes at Virtuous, we we talk about evolving along a maturity model. And when you think about a community foundation that's still in an, in the industrial state versus a community foundation that has evolved and grown to the point where they are actively proving that philanthropic differentiation, I'm just curious, like top of mind for you, for all the community foundations that you work with, are there some standout stories of some foundations that have done that exceptionally well, what have you learned from them? What do you see from how they've navigated the changing landscape? I would say that one of the customers we're very, very close with is Greater Washington Community Foundation, which has really doubled down on their focus on social justice and advocacy in their community. Obviously, the African community, African-American community in Greater Washington is struggling a very, very large community that, you know, suffered from like from poverty and, and other poor quality of, of life and health and other issues. And you know, I would say that that organization is like really, really kind of focused on, on mission and utilizing, you know, their senior resources to go out and raise as much capital as they can and potentially kind of spend down on on their endowment, you know, to really do their best to make progress on accomplishing those missions. So that's one organization that I'd really um want to call out and kind of commend for their their stance. I would say different organizations that we work with are are in different stages of that journey. A number of organizations we're starting to work with, like have really focused on starting on working with community, what's called like CFIs and, you know, started to really kind of like use their balance sheet and leverage the balance sheet of some of their donors to make really kind of investments in some of the nonprofits where, 
you know, they're really kind of short for capital and need to buy a building or need to kind of expand their operations in some meaningful way. But yeah, I mean, I think the Greater Washington folks have really done a fantastic job and their leadership is progressive and um, just forward thinking in terms of, you know, what a foundation can do in terms of like kind of moving beyond just simply like being like a source of philanthropic capital, but actually being like kind of a thought advocacy leader in the organizations that they serve. That's incredible. As the as the market shifts, I'd love to kind of circle back to, you know, you were talking about donor advised funds earlier. Mm-hmm. What has led to the rise of the donor advised fund? How has the market shifted, you know, that you've seen in your experience? Yeah. So I think we should do like kind of like the simple like two minute explanation of like what is a donor advised fund. And it's like kind of silly that have gotten to it like 25 minutes in. You probably like edit like the podcast and like put it at the beginning, but Essentially, the way I think about a donor advised fund is it's really a philanthropic brokerage account. So a donor is able to, you know, on December 31st, the donor is able to make a donation to their local community foundation. So I live in San Francisco, let's call it San Francisco Foundation. At the end of the year, they're able to get that tax deduction for the end of the year. The foundation invests their assets, invests the, the donor's donation on behalf of the donor over a period of time. And for that time period, it could be 50 years or as long as the donor lives and the donor can set up essentially successors to manage the donor advised fund. But over time, that donor advised fund can be used for the donor to make donor advised grant recommendations that the foundation processes on the donor's behalf that ultimately go to the nonprofit of the donor's choosing. So it's really kind of a way to deal with the time mismatch of when the donor wants the tax deduction and like when the donor actually wants the money to get into the hands of, you know, nonprofits that serve the community. And I think that in some cases is like really, really valuable when it's December 31st and the donor may not have that single nonprofit or may not want to write like 50 checks on the December 31st to give that money away. And so the foundation in exchange gets essentially charges an administrative fee on the assets that the donor donates and serves as a philanthropic advisor to that donor over time. It is a way to create a perpetual, active, ongoing dialogue with the donor and really activate like kind of a broader philanthropic ecosystem beyond like the nonprofit foundation that is kind of receiving the funds and is charging administrative fees on the fund. And what I think is so cool about DAFs is that they're pretty flexible in terms of structure. So there are a number of universities, for instance, who recently started a DAF program that are mandating that, let's say, 50% of all donations stay at the university and are dedicated towards university activities. And then the other 50% can get donated to other nonprofits that are in the university ecosystem that are aligned with the university's values. There's a lot of flexibility in this tool. And I know like for a lot of nonprofits, like donor advised funds sound like this super scary financial thing, financial animal, and they just prefer for everyone just to give like a really, really simple endowment. But I think they're kind of missing out on the ability to kind of like build that relationship over time and grow alongside like the donor's wealth. So, yeah. I've seen this additional trend in the market and and I'm still uncertain about how it's going to work out is usually community foundations are the DAF holders, but I've seen more and more like the universities you described where the nonprofit actually 
has a there's a business case for holding the DAP themselves. So think of like a relief and development organization where they're dealing with big crisis in the world. Well, maybe there's not a big crisis in the world. And I know I'm going to give to big crises later because they inevitably happen. As a donor, I may actually want to put my my money in like a, a DAF with the Red Cross, right? Knowing that Red Cross projects are going to pop up over time where I'm going to want to grant out of that DAF. So I want my tax credit now, but there's no hurricane happening now. And so I'm going to wait until I decide to give to that hurricane. So it's going to be interesting to watch. The flip side of that is it becomes a weird world. It's like designated funds within nonprofits, like the capital is sitting there, but the nonprofit can't deploy it where it's needed most. It's sort of like in an untouchable bucket for the organization, but it may be a way for organizations to begin to sort of honor the needs of their donors to be able to get the tax benefit now and deploy those philanthropic dollars over time. So Jeff, I don't know if you've seen that or had many conversations about it, but it's an interesting trend in the market. Yeah, we definitely have. I mean, there are a number of larger healthcare organizations that we work with who really have set up donor advised funds for kind of that purpose where, you know, they want to have that long-term relationship with the donor, but like there's no immediate need for them to spend down. And yeah, I mean, I think our overall bet is that donor advised funds are going to continue to proliferate across the nonprofit ecosystem and that not only are nonprofits kind of getting like the admin fee benefit, but they're also, Mm -hmm. you know, getting kind of a real like active ongoing relationship and advisory relationship with a live with a live donor as opposed to just like a dead one or someone who set up an endowment and then like really after they set up that endowment it's kind of like a one-time thing and they don't you know really engage with anyone you know at the the nonprofit organization anymore so yeah i mean i think we're really really bullish that it's a product that works really really well and once nonprofits kind of demystify the financial complexity and Mm. like have a really really good set of technology tools to automate like a lot of the complexity around um, managing that donor advised grants program that they'll be a lot better off and or, and their donors will like really, really benefit from that experience too. Can you talk a little bit more about just real world practical examples of that complexity in, in action? So we talk about donors are getting a more hyper-personal experience because they're actually able to see their gift go to areas that are that align deeply with what they care about and what they're passionate about or connect to a family legacy, a business legacy, you name it. What are the increased expectations on the foundation or the nonprofit that's managing the donor advised fund? How are they closing the loop with the donor yeah. and, na- and so, navigating through that complexity? So there's like there's a little bit of kind of unseated guidelines where as soon as a donor makes that donation, it is technically like the foundation's asset because it sits on the foundation's balance sheet. The foundation is essentially granting the donor with the ability to direct where those funds like ultimately go. There is a lot of complexity just in terms of overall grant processing. There's a compliance function here where a nonprofit or foundation community foundation essentially needs to validate that the organization where the donor wants to send you know, their grant recommendation is first off, a valid 501c3 organization. And second, you know, in some ways, like most importantly, like aligns with that organization's values. Because there are a lot of different 501c3s out there that do different things kind of across the political spectrum. And there's some Wall Street Journal risk of a foundation enabling a donor to 
give to an organization that just fundamentally isn't aligned kind of one way or another. That grant recommendation and that grant approval process can be, you know, if you're managing it on Excel, really, really tedious and really, really painful. But, you know, there are tools like ours and some of the other vendors in the market that, you know, enable foundations or enable nonprofits to, you know, really process compliantly large volumes of donor advised grant recommendations at scale. And for them to also kind of restrict the number of potential grant recipients based on a recommended list and make it really, really easy and straightforward for donors to re-grant to some of the organizations that they granted to in the past, or potentially find new organizations that are crucial, find new organizations that the nonprofit recommends that will be crucial to their communities. I mean, the more people realize technology can solve a lot of these, you know, what used to be seemingly complex, very, very painful, kind of time-intensive administrative and compliance problems, the more you'll see this kind of giving product and giving tool proliferate across the nonprofit ecosystem. What does actually giving transparency into a donor's impact look like in this model? There's a number of things that a foundation can do. I mean, the first thing is just like transparency in terms of grant recommendation and processing, right? And so in our tool, like we make it very, very transparent to the donor, just the state of the grant that they've Mm. recommended, whether it's been submitted whether the foundation is still working on processing a grant, whether that payment's gone out, whether the payment was ultimately like received. And there are different options that the donor has to receive notifications around that. And there are different options that the donor has as to whether they'd like to be recognized that the gift you know, essentially came from that specific donor or anonymously came from the foundation. And on the impact side, I think there are a lot of things that the foundation can ultimately do to call out like, impact of the aggregate foundation as a whole to you know specific needs inside their community and then also some of it is just kind of hard financial information to show you know where the where the donor's money has gone over a given period of time um, so they they can keep track of their giving in a transparent open way one of the mm-hmm. cool things that community foundations can do is give people an overview of what's happening. So if they're diligent about understanding how the organizations they're granting to or making a difference in the community, they can provide this sort of aggregated strategic view, right? So if you were to go to Silicon Valley Community Foundation, their website, what you're going to see is like multiple stories that are being bubbled up from all of the different organizations they're granting to. Now, in the case of Silicon Valley Community Foundation, some of those grants are international. It can be to a wide variety of organizations, but you start to see this like this like impact around a particular strategic area emerge. So if I'm a donor and I only give to one organization, hopefully that organization's like closing the loop with me and telling me, hey, here's what you have to accomplish mm-hmm. in the world, right? Which is super cool and super important. These community foundations, if they're really good at gathering stories from the organizations that they're granting to, they can then provide the donor with this holistic. So if it's in a if it's community impact within a particular city, not only are you finding out what that organization did around, you know, let's say serving the unhoused, it's like, well, I can now understand how they're dealing with unemployment or you know, whatever other issues facing the community, I can now understand that broadly because the community foundation is able to sort of aggregate, tell that story, at least the ones that do it really well, 
which is this amazing advantage. So many, so much of the time as donors, we have a myopic view of changes happening in the world or in a community because we're only getting updates from one particular nonprofit. Totally, totally agree. And I think one of the benefits of moving to kind of more of an integrated, like best in breed technology stack that a lot of our customers have had is the ability to really build like impact reporting that cuts across not just kind of their account. I mean, that's provided not just by their accounting system, but also ties into data that's from their grant management system and kind of like their CRM as well. So you can kind of see the breadth and depth of their giving. I'm curious, I'm putting myself in the shoes of a nonprofit that isn't currently using a donor advised fund. We're all working towards trying to to meet what are, you know, the very, very personal needs and desires that donors want to have in connection to the impact that they want to make. What recommendations do you have to help an organization get started to offer this as a new giving avenue, like within your fundraising strategy and fundraising model? So, I mean, I'm, I don't know, Stanford guy, like big fan of experimentation, blah, blah, blah. I would have them start by having conversations with like, you know, a half dozen to a dozen of their, like, their biggest donors and just see if they would be open to setting up a donor advised fund with their nonprofit and talk to them about the ecosystem benefits of setting up a DAF as opposed to an endowment and highlight some other partner nonprofits in their ecosystem that they built relationships with that they felt like could be helped under a DAF scenario as opposed to just kind of like a separate one-off kind of pledge giving scenario. And then I'd also just kind of position it as like as similar to an endowment in a way, like kind of like a permanent gift that enables the donor to, you know, to have a kind of constant, more recurring phone line into kind of what the nonprofit's doing and kind of the, the mission of the nonprofit. Right. But I'd start with like the top. I mean, what's been interesting to me is like just in the three or four years that I've really been in this industry, I'm starting to see kind of minimum fund amounts begin to kind of fall down. So that, you know, it used to be that for Stanford or Princeton, like the million, you know, the million dollar DAF commitment was kind of, was it? And they wouldn't even think about or entertain setting up DAFs for lower dollar amounts. And you're starting Hmm. to see that come down a little bit. And I just think with better penetration of like technology and automation, that's going to come down even more. So are you are you saying that DAFs are becoming more accessible to your your mid level donor as like a giving avenue? I, I mean, yeah, like I think so. And obviously, like a lot of that is just is being, you know, a lot of that is just because of the success of like the commercial DAF programs out there, the Schwabs and Fidelities and Vanguards. But it used to be kind of like more of a nuisance for some of the larger nonprofits, and now they're starting to think seriously about it because it is a pretty good source of like ongoing administrative fees provided that the donor continues to make donations to the DAF, you know, it's not spent down. I think that's kind of one of the other myths that's out there is that a lot of nonprofits won't think about offering DAFs because they're worried that the donor's just going to like kind of spend it all down one day. And that's going to lead to like a major hole in their budget. And I think if you look at the data, it just like, it doesn't bear that out donors really use it like an ongoing kind of like annual, like perpetual giving. And there's not some like big crazy fall. On the other side of the spectrum, I'm I'm curious, what is the benefit 
in, I guess, I guess it's a two part, like what's the, what's the benefit in a nonprofit also understanding if they're a recipient of a gift from a donor advised fund, but also like, what are some of the tactics and strategies that you'd recommend putting into place that could actually help a nonprofit leverage that as and, and grow that that revenue stream within their funding model? I would say that a lot of nonprofits that I've spoken to think of like DAS is just kind of like a black box, right? Mm. I mean, part of it comes down to quality of data that that a nonprofit is getting out of their CRM. It's kind of like, I think a lot of nonprofits out there are not paying attention to the fact that a larger and larger portion of their budget is ultimately coming from like donor, from, from grants made from foundations and donor advised funds. I think that relationship kind of like happens organically mm-hmm. where a nonprofit in a given community or a nonprofit that's aligned with like a certain interest, like, you know, ends up giving that foundation a call and saying like, Hey, what can we do to work together more? I guess I would say, I would say it's important for Nelaza that like, this is going to continue to be a growing part of their like funding base and for them to, it behooves them to, to start to like make those larger, deeper relationships with the foundations that are in their community if they haven't kind of done so already. Yeah. One of the things I think is super important and it's, and it shifted probably over the last 30 years is historically nonprofits might think of a check coming from a foundation as more sort of related to their, their grants department. Like mm-hmm. they were writing grants and then this foundation makes a decision and sends us money. Now that that still happens sometimes, but there's this need to get down to the who who is actually behind this check, right? Because now, especially gifts from DAFs, it's going to be directed by some person. And so you can't think about that check as it came from a foundation or even it came from Schwab. I need to think about that as like, a major donor relationship that needs to be stewarded in the same way as a check that came out of somebody's personal checking account. And sometimes even logistically at organizations, because you have to receipt the foundation because like Jeff said, they, they're the ones that have that gift on the balance sheet. So they're the ones that need to get a receipt, but there's a person behind that. Mm-hmm. And, and nonprofits have to be incredibly diligent about who is the person behind it. I need to make sure that I think that person and I close the loop with them on their giving. And sometimes just even logistically, technically, um, within their CRM, it's like really hard to do that. And they, because they haven't ever built that muscle in the past, because that's not how they thought about foundation checks, those are missed so often. And honestly, like it's another thing that community foundations need to get better at is making sure that that's easy for the nonprofit. I still know a bunch of massive foundations and I won't name any names here, but what the foundation does is they they'll batch up all of their gifts in one month and they'll send just like one check. And if they're lucky, they'll like have a printed out spreadsheet that goes in the envelope with a check. That's like, Oh, these 47 donors were all part of this check. It's like, yep. that that makes life miserable for the nonprofit because now you're requiring that nonprofit to do a ton of like manual data entry and clean up and connect the dots just to provide gratitude to those donors it's a bad experience, right? And so it's not giving the nonprofit a lot of motivation to follow up with the foundation to figure out how to get more of those checks because it just creates hassle, right? And so there's there's so much that needs to be done there. The financial instruments are in place, but like 
the infrastructure and technology in both the community foundation side and the nonprofit side aren't quite tight enough to be able to really close the loop and inspire those donors. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, there's so much more work to be done, man. And I mean, ultimately, it's up to a donor at you know at the foundation to determine you know whether they want their name to be provided to the grant recipient or not. But like for the names that are out there, I mean, like those need to be high priority targets for you know the fundraising team of that nonprofit because ultimately they shouldn't really care about like the financial mechanics. They should just care about building that relationship with that donor um, and you know getting them even more kind of on board with their mission. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's still like so much work that we can do in terms of really uniting once again, that three-sided market of a three-sided marketplace of, of donor foundation and, and grantee. It's a good word, but I was kicking myself because I was literally just going to tell a story on an anecdote about when I was a fundraiser, sit in the seat, we get the same check from the same community foundation every month with 20 to 30 names on it and we just we just input the check and we just keep running in one direction so i love Which that is, you brought that. i, I mean those that. are your best donors yeah and they're getting the least love yeah it's just because it's a it's a hassle and it's confusing and just like you said like the work that goes into just even finding out who they are to close the loop on the impact kind of and that kind of goes back to your point jeff like the value and importance of nonprofits building relationships with the community foundation itself, helping the community foundation leverage their stories of impact that are being fueled from those donors, right? So there's there's so much impact investment opportunity, even just from a communications storytelling perspective that a nonprofit could engage with a community foundation on. I think both sides benefit, man, right? Like ultimately a community foundation is trying to show that they're different than the Schwaber Fidelity by highlighting specific mm-hmm. clauses in their community and specific organizations that they help fund and serve. Yeah. I mean, making that connection like clearer and really kind of building that stronger connection I think is super, super beneficial for, for both sides. And to get super practical, I mean, if you're a nonprofit out there right now and you get, you're getting gifts from foundations. In my opinion, there should be two things that go out after that gift comes in. Number one, it should be figure out the donor behind the gift. If it's not anonymous, we got your gift through this foundation, man. We are so grateful. This is amazing. Here's a story of the impact that your gift is creating in the world. Right. But I actually think not just the receipt should go to the, especially if it's community foundation, if it's Schwab or something, I don't, it's not as important, but if it's a community foundation, it should be like, Thank you guys so much for facilitating this kind of generosity mm. in our community. Like, here's a story of the impact that our nonprofit is making because of your generosity and make it really easily shareable, right? So because you want to empower that community foundation to then tell your story as a nonprofit to the rest of their community, you, you want your story on their website about all the impact the foundation is having. And so I think... I know very few nonprofits who are closing both of those loops really well after that initial gift. Yeah. I mean, I almost kind of compare it to a kind of like partnership strategy with like mm-hmm. businesses. A lot of nonprofits out there are probably not donating the resources that they should be. I mean, they're like very, very limited resources to treating foundations that are in their community. And it doesn't have to be community foundations. It could be like a lot of you know really, really beneficent private foundations as well treating them as as partners and as kind of funding partners in some of the activities that they do. 
100%. Well, Jeff, we're coming to the end of our time. And before we wrap up, I just want to make sure that we cover all of our bases. Is there just any outstanding final pieces of, of advice that we haven't touched on today that you think would be beneficial for either a nonprofit looking to walk down the path of utilizing a donor advised fund or a community foundation that's looking to evolve and innovate to meet the needs of the modern donor? I guess, Brian and Gabe, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, number one. As far as kind of like key calls to action, I mean, I think that nonprofits, all all the folks that you guys, you know, work with and serve and, um, you know, speak to, I think it's time for you guys to do your research and really kind of like explore gas as a new giving product to offer your donors. I think kind of that that time has come and the, the technology is there to enable that. You know, alongside that, I mean, I think I think nonprofits should definitely do the analysis and, and examine how much of their giving really comes from DAFs or comes from community foundations or other kind of like, you know, DAF-based organizations today, because I think it's probably more than they think. And then on the community foundation side, I guess I would invite them to like really think strategically about their business model and kind of what side they're on in terms of being more progressive and kind of thinking about enhancing kind of their donor base and fundraising strategy and kind of overall impact, you know, over the coming decades, just invite them to think about evaluating some of the new technology that's out there. And as opposed to kind of the legacy monolithic full stack solutions that are out there exploring kind of more of a best in breed approach where they have access to high quality fundraising and digital marketing tools like the ones that you guys provide. Yeah, those are my two takeaways. Let me know if you think I missed anything. You know, one of the things that I'm I'm excited, I'm excited about, we're partnering now with Jeff's company, Impact, and super, super excited about that partnership. Part of why we're so excited about it is, yeah, giving through foundations, in particular DAFs, is growing uh, really fast. And at, at Virtuous, we care about increasing global generosity. So we want to be wherever we can move the needle most on generosity, right? And one of the things that we're really excited about is platforms like Jeff's at Impact are actually really upping the game in terms of the mechanics of how do you create this beautiful frictionless experience for donors? And then how do you save your staff time to make this thing that seems so impossible? How does it become achievable now? But the thing that's missing and why we're excited about it at Virtuous is as more foundations become just a, a small group of faithful donors, but really they're this big aggregate of don't like tons of DAF holders that our idea of you have to build personal relationships with donors at scale to be successful, that is becoming just an imminent, like pressing problem in the community foundation space where community for community foundations, their donors and DAF holders that are growing now expect a personal connection at scale. And if they're going to continue to shove money into their DAFs and deploy grants, they expect a personal connection with that community foundation. And so as Virtuous, we're, we're really excited to be able to serve foundations in that way by coming alongside tools like Impact, but then helping them provide that more personal connection with their donors at scale to drive generosity. So yeah, it could be more exciting for us. We think the opportunity is huge here just because of the rise of DAFs and the strength of community foundations and what that means for philanthropy. Love it. Thanks so much, Gabe. Jeff, I'm really curious, where can folks get in touch with you? Where can folks learn more about Impact? 
and the tools that you provide? Sure. Uh, I mean, they can go to our website, www.impact.com. And then if there's interest in exploring our technology solution, they can reach out to me personally at jconn at impact.com or uh, sales at impact.com. Someone will be in touch with them shortly. And I'm sure my VP of customer uh, delivery would you know, probably want to kill me for giving out my personal email. Whatever. <laughs> It's all good. Well, uh, for you know, for those that are curious, it's hidden in the show notes. So if you want to email Jeff directly, his email's down there, <laughs> and, and and I can be the one that gets uh, you know that takes the heat for you, Jeff. And uh, we've also got a link to npact.com there as well. So that's npact.com to learn more about NPACT. Jeff, Gabe, thanks for joining us this week. It was a great conversation, and we'll catch you all next week. Thanks, thanks Brian. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. We are so grateful for your time. We know how busy you are and consider it a privilege to journey alongside you as you work to make change in our world. We believe in you and would love to hear from you. Projects like this are only as good as the feedback we get, the guests who come on, and all the topics we get to discuss. So if you have an idea, if you know of an impactful guest that must come on the show, or if you want to be a part of the responsive community, check us out over at virtuous.org backslash podcast and join the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite station. Your mission needs your collective talent and passion. So go forth and lead the charge forward and we'll be here cheering you on. We'll see you next week.